Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and this is a podcast for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of frequent deployments and trainings, but want to stop feeling mentally miserable in the process. You know what to do, and you're doing it, all while holding down the fort at home. But you are weary from living in survival mode and battling with your brain. If you are ready to thrive, then you are in the right place. This is episode three, The Primitive Brain. Before we get into that, though, I'm going to start with this week's battle buddy moment. And I want to read a review from Sean, who said, I was able to attend one of Jesse's dinner parties last night. It was phenomenal. Dinner was amazing and delicious. It was a fun, relaxed way to meet others in the group and become comfortable with each other. Then there was the life coaching. Jessie was such an amazing facilitator. She holds space for you to internalize all she is teaching. She is so connected and truly cares about helping you. She would get so excited as someone was finding their breakthrough. I highly suggest you hightail it to one of these dinners or try some one-on-one coaching with Jessie if you are more comfortable that way. I have also worked one-on-one with her and she truly helped me make some major breakthroughs. She's changed my life for the better. Your life will be changed too. Thanks so much for that review, Sean. I wanted to add a little clarification that one reason I call those my battle buddy moments is because a battle buddy is somebody who has your back who is looking out for you, looking out for the people around them. And I feel like when people take the time to leave a review, not only are they being supportive of my business and helping me out, but they're also motivated by sharing the experience they've had with people around them who might be reading the reviews. And in that way, I like to consider it just like we're all each other's battle buddies. And another thing that I wanted to clarify was that I mostly do one-on-one coaching. I do some group coaching as well. But what Sean was mentioning in her review was actually something I've been doing for the last year or so where I do small in-person dinner parties in my home. And we've been having a lot of fun with those, but I'm actually about to stop doing those to really focus on my niche of military wives and on my podcast and on... Uh, my online coaching and not so much the in-person experiences. But I, like I said, I've been having a blast doing those dinner parties and they were perfect for the time frame that I did them in. I got lots of awesome practice coaching while I finished up school and I got to meet lots of people and I love cooking for people and hosting and I enjoy all of that so much. So it fulfilled a lot there. Okay, so let's get into what we're talking about this week, which is the primitive brain. And I decided to do this topic for my next episode because I reference what our primitive brain, the part that it plays in all of this so much. So I knew I needed to kind of explain what I know about it to give you a little frame of reference as I talk about that. So first of all, it goes by lots of names like the lower brain, the toddler brain, Primitive brain kind of refers to like our caveman brain. And there are ton- there's tons of science behind why the brain functions the way it does. And there's scientific names for the different parts of the brain, like the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system and things like that. And today we're not going to get into the science, but I just want to start by saying that the primitive brain has a really important job to do. And it's there to keep us safe. It is there to keep us alive. And it's running right on track. But what's been interesting is there aren't many reasons to be kept safe anymore. I mean, we obviously have to use common sense 
and make good choices and be safe. But it literally used to keep us alive. Like when we would feel hungry, our primitive brain made us go find food so that we wouldn't starve to death. But now when we feel hungry, we don't need to go into that if I don't eat, I'll die mode. And our brain almost makes us feel that urgent sometimes when we're feeling hunger. Or if we hear a noise that we don't know what it's from, our primitive brain used to be able to say that might be a wild animal or that might be, you know, something that we need to really protect ourselves from or we might die. And now when we hear a noise, we go into that intense dramatic reaction sometimes when for the most part, it's just a sound of the house settling or something like that. And so I have a funny example to kind of illustrate some of this. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Crudes, but I think it's a pretty awesome movie. My kids really like it. And there's this little clip that I'm going to link to in the show notes of Grug, the dad, the caveman dad. This is a movie about a caveman family. And Grug sits his kids down for story time at night before they go to bed. And he says, you know, basically there was a little bear and... If she did what her dad said and lived her life in routine and darkness and terror, then she'll be happy and safe. But she had a big problem and it was that she was curious. And it was like, that was this big problem. Anyway, at the end of all of Greg's stories, the character dies because she does something like climbs a tree and dies or sees something new and dies. And I love that example because, and I I reference it like that a lot in my coaching when I talk about what the lower brain is offering us, is that our lower brain is literally looking for danger everywhere. And sometimes there actually is danger, but usually there isn't. And I like to call that kind of misidentifying bears. I'll say that when I'm coaching sometimes. And what that means is sometimes there actually is a bear or there actually is danger And then our lower brain is so crucial in taking over and releasing adrenaline into our bodies and getting us to run away and be safe and do whatever we have to do to accomplish what needs to happen to be safe again. But our lower brain often misidentifies bears. So for example, we might get a failing grade on a test and our lower brain says, look, there's a bear. Because we go to this place of, if I fail this test, then I'm going to fail this class. And if I fail this class, then I'm going to not get into college. And if I don't get into college, then I can't live my life. And then I die, like at the end of Grug's stories. And so I just think it's really important to understand that our lower brain has a really important job. And it's doing it really well. It's just often unproductive in our current state of living because there's not the same kind of danger there was before when we needed our lower brain to really help us survive. Another analogy that I like to use that helps me understand the lower brain and how important it is and powerful it is, yet it truly doesn't run the show. So the alternative to our lower brain is our higher brain, or maybe you might have heard it as the rational brain or the logical part of our brain or our prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is what drives the show. It is what takes actions, but it's taking cues from our lower brain if we let it. So here's the analogy that I use that helps me understand this. It's like when you're at the grocery store with your toddler. And one of my favorite things to call the lower brain is the toddler brain because I hang out with toddlers all day and my lower brain is exactly like a toddler. And it makes me laugh when I think of it that way instead of getting frustrated. (laughs) Okay, so it's like you're at the grocery store with your toddler and they're strapped into the cart 
in that front part and you have to go check out. And as we all know, though, that checkout line is just lined with candy bars and toys and magazines and all these things, gum and mints and chapstick and just basically everything that is a toddler's favorite thing. And maybe they're screaming for the candy bar or the chapstick or whatever it is, but you're about to go home and eat dinner. So you don't want to buy them a treat right now. And so you're needing to tell your toddler, no, But your toddler just keeps asking, right? Just over and over is screaming for that candy bar until you can kind of get through the line and get it out of sight and out of mind. And that's exactly, to me, like how the the lower brain functions where it is persistently throwing a message at you, whatever that message may be, and you can just hear it, acknowledge it, realize there's no bear, there's no problem, and then just say, no, we're going to go home and have dinner. We're just not going to have a candy bar right now but the lower brain will probably keep asking. So it's very powerful to start to understand what messages are coming from your lower brain and what messages are coming from your higher brain and to also be able to categorize those messages into which ones are productive and which ones are unproductive. Because again, our lower brain does a lot of really awesome things that are productive, but so many of them aren't as well. And I like to use that word productive instead of like negative and positive because I feel like using the word negative and positive can be a really opinion-based and not, not always a great way to describe it, but productive and unproductive is a way I like to think about it as far as what results I can achieve from following those messages that that part of my brain is giving me. So a really important job that our lower brain does that is vital to our everyday existence and we all love about our lower brain is autopilot. So this is kind of a double-edged sword in that, like I said, we love autopilot. We love that we don't have to engage our brain actively the entire time we're driving home from the grocery store. We can just go into autopilot and drive home very safely and be listening to a podcast or music or talking to our kids and not be having not having to think about every single turn as we drive home or other things like that. Other mundane tasks that we can go into autopilot for are really helpful, like doing the dishes or when we're in the shower, things like that. So that's a powerful resource from our lower brain, but it's also what can make the messages that our lower brain offer us so difficult at times. Because if we're in autopilot in a way that we think about a certain thing, it almost feels like we don't have control over those thoughts and that our brain is offering it to us from somewhere that's unreachable and intangible and almost like it's out of our control. Like, I don't even know where that thought came from. And if it's coming from somewhere mysterious or from our subconscious, we can really start to feel like, I don't even know how I would change that thought or get a hold of it. So I wanted to give you an example of how we can use autopilot for good, even if it's currently, even if there are ways that it's currently causing us some issues. So the way you can retrain your brain on a way that it's thinking that you don't want it to be thinking. For example, if you have, um, every time you get home from work is when you would usually sit down and relax and take a drink, but you feel like recently maybe your drinking has increased or gotten out of control and you're wanting to drink less, but you go into this autopilot of when I get home, that's when I, you know, sit down and take a drink. And it feels almost beyond your control because you have such a strong pattern of doing that and such strong urges based around, this is what I always do at this time or when I'm feeling this way. Or similarly, if there's 
food on the counter, but you are trying to lose a little weight maybe and you don't want to eat those cinnamon rolls. You have such a strong urge to eat them and usually when someone has brought you baked goods, you eat them and you kind of have this autopilot about, oh, when I smell this or when I feel hungry, that's when I eat and I just have this autopilot, right? So if we're wanting to retrain an autopilot like that, that isn't serving us, that is not productive, uh, here's the example I like to use. So this is a driving example because when I think of autopilot, that's where my brain goes. But uh, we moved into the neighborhood we live in right now a few years ago, and there's a couple of different entrances into our neighborhood. And after about a year of living there, we realized that we weren't actually going in the best entrance as far as traffic lights went. And it was closer to our actual house, but we ended up hitting more lights and having to kind of rush in and out of traffic on this busy road And we were able to see that a different entrance was better as far as those things were concerned. And the one entrance that we were going in was past the one that we had decided to start using, my husband and I. And so I realized, okay, this is the new entrance I'm going to start using. And I would tell my brain as I drove home from the grocery store or wherever I was that I wasn't going to go to the one I've been going to. I've got to make myself stop and go to this one that I come to sooner. And it was fascinating to me to see how often... I would be trying to keep my brain from going into autopilot as I drove home and I would force it to stay present and think about the new entrance I was going to start using and think about it and think about it and stay with it. And before I realized it, one of my kids asked me a question or a song came on the radio. My brain went into autopilot. And when I came back to my present brain, I was at the old entrance, the one we weren't going to use anymore. And it took me probably three or four months to get myself to go to the new entrance without having to kind of fight that battle. And it was just so fascinating to see that even though I knew all the reasoning of going to the new entrance, I just had this ingrained pattern of going to the old one. And it was very difficult for me to keep my brain out of autopilot because I rely on autopilot so heavily when I'm driving. So I would remember and I would go to the right entrance and then the next day I'd remember again. And then the next three or four times I would forget, forget, forget and go to the old entrance. And I would think, oh, you know, I'm still doing that. And then I would remember and remember and then forget and remember just back and forth for weeks and weeks and months and months until I started forgetting less and less and less. And one reason I love this example is because we often have this mentality where it's kind of like when you're at work or when, you know, in a workplace, sometimes they'll have a sign that says like 65 days since our last injury or accident or something. And then if there's an accident or injury, it just goes to zero. The number gets reset. And that's kind of how always how I thought about different goal settings or, uh, you know, if you're on a if you're on a diet or something and you have a cheat day, then you almost feel like you reset all your effort to zero, which is completely an unproductive way to think about it. And I'm going to do a podcast episode on that in the future because I have this motto that is serving me so well of the fact that there is no bandwagon to fall off of ever. And all that that line of thinking does is just keep you from achieving your goals. So I love that as I watched myself retrain my brain, that I would forget and mess up all throughout the retraining. And I would just try again the next day, try again the next day. And I finally had enough successes that the old way got retrained. And now on autopilot, I just go the new way to the new entrance and it's not a problem at all and I don't have to think about it anymore. 
And what's so great to know about that is there's just a certain number of times in each of our brains, and it might be a different number of times depending on the retraining you're trying to do. There's some that might come very easily to you where you only have to practice the new way you want to think about it a few different times. And there's some that might take longer if it's a, you know, if it's a really intense autopilot, you know, pattern in your mind that you might have to have that successful way of thinking about it 50 or 100 times before it becomes your new normal. But to know that even when you think the old way or go to that old entrance that you don't want to use anymore, it never resets your efforts. You just try again the next time the opportunity comes up to practice that new line of thinking and you try again and you try again. And when you go the old way, you just look at yourself with curiosity and see if you can see, oh, I wonder why I missed that. I wonder why I didn't do it the way I'd planned to do it. I wonder why I like just with curiosity rather than judgment. And then that's as much pondering or drama as you need to make out of it and then you just try again and then you try again and you try again and eventually the new thing that you've had to work hard to train your brain to do and think about will be as easy as it was to do the thing that you didn't like that you were doing anymore like going to the old entrance so hopefully that example helps a little bit that's really encouraging to me to understand that concept one thing I do and I teach my kids to do this too, and I think it helps them, is I am trying to become friends with my lower brain. When I first started learning about the lower brain, I just thought, oh, this is such a hassle that I'm having to just constantly fight against my lower brain. And I was kind of enemies with my lower brain at first until I learned more and realized what a powerful asset it was for me to have. And another important thing to understand is that all the work we do in life coaching and with mind management is never to find a cure for the lower brain. You will always have a lower brain And thank goodness. And what we are trying to accomplish is getting on the same page as our lower brain, being friends with our lower brain, understanding our lower brain so that we can put it to use in a way that is productive for our current way of life and our current thinking. So I teach my kids to pet their brain. And basically when your brain, your lower brain offers you a thought like, The example I used before, if you're hungry or if you're bored or if you're sad or disappointed, some of these really necessary negative emotions that we feel, uncomfortable emotions that we feel, and our lower brain offers us a thought like, if we don't get food now, we're going to die. Or if, you know, when we're bored and our lower brain says, if you don't start doing something that's fun, I'm going to die. You know, again, the dying is a dramatic example, but it really is offering us some pretty dramatic consequences in our lower brain once you start to take a look at it that just aren't true, but we're still kind of going through those motions and feeling it. So we've started petting our brains, like petting our heads and saying, it's okay, brain. I'm just a little bored right now. And just that helps us accept that uncomfortable emotion and it's helped me and I, I, they've said that it's helped them. So when they're hungry but it's not time to eat yet or when we're waiting for something and they're bored or when they didn't get a part in the play and they're super disappointed, we just pet our brains and we just say, it's okay, I'm just really disappointed right now. And you just let yourself feel it and let yourself have it and then your lower brain is reassured that, oh, we're not going to die, we're just going to feel this uncomfortable emotion. Some other things that have been helpful as far as responding to what my lower brain offers me is it might offer me something like, what if that person didn't like how I said that? Or what if I didn't get invited somewhere? Or what if my husband is, you know, saying something or doing something? Just basically any of those panicked 
kind of worrisome. You're taking, you're adding meaning and you're taking something pretty normal that happened and stretching it to kind of, you're kind of catastrophizing it in a way. Some helpful ways to respond to your brain and to come up with these responses ahead of time is to just say something like maybe or so what? Or even okay. I got those from Natalie Clay, another awesome life coach. You'll have to check out her couples coaching podcast. It's wonderful. So she'll answer her brain with those phrases of just, okay, you know, and it just reassures your lower brain that, oh, so we don't need to be freaking out here. You know, there isn't a huge problem. There isn't actually a bear. Another one I like to do is just saying, no, it's okay, brain. Like this one's not dangerous. Like this bear that you've identified is is not dangerous. And I just reassure it of that. So one other superpower of our lower brain is how quickly it can you can offer it a new idea or a new circumstance or a new thought like, I think I'm going to start a business or I want to get married or maybe uh, I want to try just I want to try this new thing or something. And it will go through in less than a second, <laughs> scan your entire life and see all the reasons why that's going to not be safe for you to do and all the times that ideas like this have not gone well. And basically, just like Grug was saying, let's just stay in routine and darkness and terror so that we can just stay safe. And then within that second, it presents this amazing report to you. It's like this supercomputer. And it's just written up this report of all the reasons why this new thing that you're thinking about is a horrible idea. And that if we do it, we'll for sure die. And then it presents you this report and says, don't do it. And it's important to see that our brain does that because then we can see why it's not a very productive way to make decisions by kind of feeding off that report that it's given us. But to just acknowledge that, again, it's doing its job, it's doing it well, but that doesn't mean we have to take action from that report. So just like petting your brain, I like to thank my brain for the report and remind myself, you're, you know, you're doing your job, you're doing a great job. And then I just say, but I'm going to go ahead and try this anyway. You know, like this one's not dangerous, like that thought I offered you earlier. So in learning about the lower brain, I feel like we do need to talk for just a minute about, you know, our higher brain, like we mentioned at the beginning. And there's not a lot to learn about the higher brain, except that when we are using our rational, logical thinking, we're usually in our higher brain, right? And that it is the place we want to make all our decisions from and take all of our action from. A couple examples of this are like when we're writing out models and doing our self-coaching, we're pretty much always in our rational brain, in our higher brain. And alternatively, when we are fighting with somebody, like fighting with our spouse or arguing with our children or something like that, we are almost always in our lower brain because that is a real autopilot default setting we go to of when something goes wrong, we go into our lower brain to handle it. And when we're using our higher brain to evaluate how that fight went, you know, whether in our self-coaching or not, or we're using our higher brain to set goals or make decisions or make plans or evaluate something that we did the day before that we're kind of confused about. It's just really important to start seeing the different results you get from using the different parts of your brain. So the goal, like I said, is to not not to find a cure for the lower brain. It will always be there. But the goal is to get both parts of our brain on the same page, working together as one team and to be aware of both. Truly, that's the main goal is to just be aware of how this works and of both sides of the brain. One little way I like to explain this is it's like when we're living kind of in unawareness of how our brain works and the thoughts that it offers us. 
It's like we're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And when we're in our lower brain, if that's Dr. Jekyll, I don't know which one is the bad guy. But if we're in our lower brain, our higher brain is almost like turned off for a minute. And we're just living in our lower brain right in that moment. And then later we go into our higher brain and our lower brain's kind of turned off. And we're so confused by what our lower brain decided to do, almost as if one is not aware of the other. And so to bring those two both into light at the same time and to to live from both sides of your brain, but without ever shutting down the other side is a really beautiful place to get to. And that mostly happens just with this awareness and also just really developing your relationship with your lower brain and not to fight against it, but to learn how to fight with it, to utilize those superpowers for good. And the reason that awareness is so crucial is that awareness is what gives us authority. And that's what we're looking for. By doing this life coaching, by doing this mind management, we're just looking to get some authority over the parts of our lives that we can control. Authority over the way our brain works, the way our thoughts work, how powerful they are. And authority over choosing the thoughts we want to think and the thoughts we want to keep on thinking on a regular basis that are productive for us and that produce the desired results that we want to create in our lives. If you have any questions about what we talked about in this episode, feel free to email me or leave a comment on Facebook or on my website, www.simplyresilient.net. And I'd love to discuss this further with you. My in the trenches moment for this week is the, I want to talk about the self-coaching that I do on my dinner party days. I mentioned my dinner parties earlier in this podcast episode, and I think it's pretty interesting that I've done maybe 20 or 30 of these dinner parties over the last year and a half, and they go great. And I, I, you know, I've got it down to an art and a science and I still find my lower brain offering me thoughts on dinner party days like, what if I don't know how to help them? Or what if I mess up? Or what if they don't like it? And it's pretty interesting that our lower brain often offers us questions and it kind of gets our brain spinning and it definitely doesn't serve us. And I've been able to identify those thoughts and I do lots of self-coaching throughout my day on dinner party days as I get ready. And I just carefully get awareness over the thoughts my lower brain's offering me, those unproductive thoughts that lead me to feel stress or self-doubt or anxiety. And then I slowly and gently and lovingly redirect to new thoughts that I've already prepared for when my brain offers me thoughts like that, such as, what if I'm exactly the coach they need tonight? Or what if this is my best dinner party ever? And I just get my brain working on those new ideas and those new thoughts instead of spinning with those questions of what if I do it all wrong and die? And my lower brain resists it a little bit at times, but then especially the more I do it, it just gently accepts those new thoughts and those new ideas. And one that was really poignant for me recently was I had something happen on a dinner party day. Normally I don't schedule much on my dinner party days because I spend most of the day preparing, but I did have something I had to go do and it went really poorly. And my lower brain offered me the thought, 
if only this hadn't happened on a dinner party day, like now what am I going to do? Because I'm all messed up from this thing that went poorly and it's just going to really affect how it goes tonight. And it just started going to this really worried, nervous, self-doubt place of because this thing has happened, maybe my dinner party is going to go poorly. And I actually was so upset that I, I was having a hard time coaching myself on this one. I was really believing my story of, oh, it's so bad that this happened on a dinner party day. And I was able to call my friend who's a coach of a coach friend of mine and she was able to coach me. Sorry, just took my three-year-old potty, but I'm back. So anyway, my coach friend was able to hear my story and help me identify some of the thoughts that were not serving me and help me get clear about the way I wanted to feel about it and a new thought that I was able to try on that again my lower brain resisted at first but I think that resistance is kind of a mark of that you're right on with the new thought we don't want our lower brain to completely reject the new thought that we're trying on but to resist it means that it's a little stretch for our lower brain, which I think is good. I think it's like exercising our lower brain to be a little more open to thinking these thoughts that do serve us. So the thought that I was able to try on and throughout the rest of the day kind of play around with and use it to wiggle the thoughts in my brain and start to adjust the way I was feeling and it really made a big impact on my day was how is it perfect that this happened on a dinner party day. So then my brain went to work on answering that question instead of on answering the question of what will I do if I just can't coach them tonight or, you know, if I'm feeling too stressed or nervous or, you know, your brain looks for evidence for whatever you ask it to look for. And I was asking my brain to look for how this thing going poorly was going to really affect my dinner party that night. And I was finding lots of reasons why it would. And to change my thought very gently and redirect it to this place of in what ways is it exactly right on? that I had this experience today on a dinner party day. How is this going to work to my benefit? I couldn't believe how many reasons I was able to find that I truly believed that would answer that question of ways that it was actually great that it happened on the dinner party day. And by the time 7 p.m. rolled around and my guests showed up, I was in such a good headspace and was able to feel very self-confident in my abilities and in my, specifically my ability to help these particular people learn how to look at their brain and uh, look at their problems in new ways that helped them. And it was just one of my best dinner parties ever. So that's my in the trenches moment. Now your mission for this week is as you watch your thoughts, I want you to ask yourself just which half of your brain the thought is coming from. And remember, we're always wanting to work from curiosity rather than judgment. So watch your thoughts just lovingly and as almost like an outside observer, like we talked about before, and just think, oh, I wonder why my lower brain is offering me that thought right now. Or, oh, it really feels like I'm in my higher rational brain right now. And I also want you to practice thanking your lower brain for the report that it's giving you, even if it's a report that is not helping you achieve, you know, these new things you're wanting to try, but just thank it for the report and then move forward in the way you want to move forward. Don't hand your your lower brain the candy bar and and also pet petting your brain. You don't have to pet your brain if you don't want to, but I think anything you can do that kind of, again, shakes up the way you've 
been kind of stuck doing things. And so when I physically go up and kind of pet my head, it just makes me smile. It brings my brain right into focus of what I'm working on. And I think it just catches the attention of my lower brain even stronger of just, oh, we're hungry and that's okay. Like there'll be food in two and a half hours when it's time for dinner. I don't need to panic and go eat a snack that I wasn't planning on eating. You know, if you have different health or weight loss goals. And I'd love to hear how uh, accomplishing the your mission is going for you this week. My hot mess moment that I want to end with is uh, a couple weekends ago, we went up to Idaho to visit my husband, some of my husband's family that lives up there. And we arrived late in the evening. And as I got my three-year-old out of the car to get her changed into PJs and into bed, I realized that she was still wearing her church dress that she wore on Sunday. And she basically wore it for four days straight. And I was just laughing so hard because first of all, she is very spirited and loves dresses, weirdly enough. And so she loves to stay in her dress if I let her. And usually I will here and there. This one in particular is her favorite dress and it's comfortable and flowy. So it kind of feels like a nightgown too. So I guess it kind of got away from me that day after day I had just said, okay, you know, we don't, you can stay in your dress. You can stay in your dress. And then another reason it really makes me laugh is because I have five girls and one boy and I've had all my kids kind of in pairs. So I had my first two just 13 months apart, which was a real adventure. And then I had, you know, a few years later, I had two more kids 20 months apart. And then five years later, I had my final two that are just 18 months apart. So they're all kind of paired up, which I've enjoyed. That's been fun because they always have a buddy. And my first two, I just had two girls right at the beginning. And I just loved getting them dressed and doing their hair and dressing them to match or at least coordinate and just the cutest shoes and the cutest bows and just to the nines. I would just love to dress up my cute little sweet babies for the first few years of their lives. And then um, they started to get, you know, more opinionated about what they wore and and I just you know we naturally transitioned away from that just a little bit and then I had two more and it was a girl and a boy and I you know I, I did pretty well especially with Bruce being my first boy I had fun it was just a new a new thing to dress him in cute boy clothes and so I did okay with my third and fourth but by the time we are now to my fifth and sixth it has really gotten away from me and it just makes me laugh because last year when my husband was deployed I had a nanny which was life-changing, by the way. And I will tell you more about that in upcoming episodes. But uh, it was so funny because she loves, you know, getting little girls dressed up so cute. And my fifth and sixth, they're both girls. And she would just do kind of like I did with my first two of just whenever she was you know, on shift or whatever in charge, she would dress them up in the cutest clothes and do their hair and all the things. And I was always so happy because I like them being dressed, but that's one of the things that has fallen a little lower on my priority list of, you know, making sure they're in cute, clean, new, fresh outfits every day. Like, especially in the winter, I would just leave my baby in her footy pajamas for two or three days till, you know, she spit up on them or had a blowout in her diaper or something. And then I would change her just because we didn't leave the house very much. And I knew she was warm and comfortable and she, you know, taking multiple naps a day. I just thought, oh, she might as well just stay in her PJs. But it was fun to have my nanny really, we called her their 
hair and wardrobe specialist because she would just always make sure they looked so cute. And so it was funny for me to see that that it got away from me on this trip because I was hanging out with my sister-in-law and I confessed to her what I just realized that it was Thursday night, I think, and that she'd been wearing that same dress all the way from Sunday at church for the next four days until... We finally gave her a bath and got her in PJs and got her into bed. And it's just fun to realize all the different phases of parenting and, again, just the reality of life and how sometimes we're on top of things and sometimes we're not and sometimes things are important and sometimes they're not. And it's all just great and working out exactly the way it's supposed to. Thank you for listening and making time in your day. If this podcast resonates with you, send an email to jesse at simplyresilient.net to schedule a free mini session and see if working with me would be a great fit for you. Remember, when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.